Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hemograph, dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the primal Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever. This is Alan Averill, this is Agitators Anonymous, episode 180-something or other. So during the week on my YouTube channel, I had a great chat with Joe from Gamma Bomb. We called it Metal Ploitation. I think it was an uncomfortable mix of metal and exploitation, just talking about awful heavy metal. And seeing as the chat was, I think, pretty funny, Um, and part two is coming out next week on YouTube. I thought for a change, seeing as there's 13 of those Metal Salvage chats, which people seem to really enjoy over on the YouTube channel, I would put that first uh, episode and part of the chat here today um, on the podcast. Um, In reality, they probably should have their own podcast, and there's quite a lot of content there to go through, and I think it's pretty funny stuff. Um, But every now and again, I like to post a little bit of them uh, here on the Agitators Anonymous podcast. And I think this chat is worthy of inclusion. If you've watched the YouTube version already, well, then apologies for that. Um, You can listen twice to the dulcet tones of our voice. And if you haven't looked at it, well, then I think you're in for a kind of a treat. There's a lot happening in the world right now. Last week, I uh, addressed some of the history of the Middle Eastern conflict, at least as I saw it. Um, Like I said, ain't no historian, but tried to put a little context in the dates um, and some of the lineage. And as I think some things are getting misunderstood by people who are too quick to jump to their tribal instincts. Um, So you can't say that the podcast hasn't tried to handle some issues of uh, some serious issues. But for levity's sake, uh, today will be a chat about awful heavy metal. Um, the show, as ever, is sponsored by Metal Blade Records. You can go to IndieMerch.com slash Metal Blade Records and use the promo code AA2023 to get 10% off your order. Also, as promised, I think last week, I was going to announce that the show also has a sponsorship from a band called Behiach, a band from the northwest of Ireland. Originally, were inspired uh, by Burzum, Eildjarn, and early Primordial. Um, you should be able to hear a little bit underneath what I'm reading now. And I'm going to include a whole song at the end of this chat. So you can, if you stick around for the chat to me and Joe that's coming, you can hear us whole song at the end. Um, Behiach, and the new um, release is called Beowulf. Yeah, it's good stuff, good stuff. Very solid in black metal with a bit of Celtic Frost Bathory and some more death metal in it um, and the links to the uh, to the band will be in the description underneath so if you're out there in a band and you're thinking this sounds like a good way to promote something in the future get in touch with me you can do the exact same thing alright 
So here's the chat between me and Joe about awful metal. Metal exploitation. Is it metal exploitation? That doesn't sound right either. Metal exploitation. At the end of the chat, you will hear um, the whole of this Behi Ox song. So stick around for that. Might as well start where you mean to begin. Look, in honor of the potentiality of tonight's chat. Virgin steel, man. Yeah. It was yeah. at the Light a candle for Virgin Steel. Look at that, man. It's like an old woman at mass being all like, this is for you guys. No, no, sorry, that's too black metal. It should be more like... Yeah, yeah. Um, I bought it this like Vakken in 98. Um, Vakken in 98. Uh, we played, um, and we hadn't a fucking clue what we were doing. We didn't even bring the right plugs. We brought like yeah. three in plugs. <laughs> <laughs> we, we didn't even put the hour on the clock on our clocks different to Dublin. Um, Simon You're got fucked an up. hour late for your gig, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was in the crowd w- uh, wandering around, and Kieran was on the stage, and I was like, What's going on? We're not playing for me. He goes, Dude, like fucking 15 minutes. Oh, yeah. Um, I was like, and I was like, What? Fuck, what? and I ran around, and I couldn't, I didn't have time to put any fucking, you know, black metal accoutrement on. And, um, could be at the time wrong. Simon got fucked up. I got fucked up. It was an, a mess of a gig. We were like trying, it was 98. We've only just replayed on the floor in pubs and stuff. And like, the people are like, so what do you want in your monitors and all this kind of crap? And after us was Exciter and Riot. And it was Exciter with Jack Belange, you know, and it was like super powerful. Exciter. And they just like crushed us like little, little bugs. The Dark Command and all that. Yeah. Oh, that which I, for me are the best Exciter records, but we can discuss that at another moment. But, so, and Virgin Steel played, and this was... Man, have you ever noticed, actually, any time... Um, I was going to say, any time you regale us with a heavy metal story that <laughs> involves other people from Primordial, your impersonation of everyone from Primordial is if they're um, working in the docks in Dublin. They're very like, Oh, Roy, well, boys, how's the gowns? Yeah. And having met them, none of them fucking talk like that. <laughs> the proletariat. Yeah. Well, it's um, it's an artistic license. They're not here to defend themselves, and you know you can't, you know. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it gets worse. So that we played, we were awful. I bought this shirt, and this was a big album in '98. I loved it. Invictus, still one of my favorite heavy metal records. And me and Kieran stayed out all night drinking. We got on Golgoroth's tour bus, which was heading off to like the Baltic somewhere to Poland. Um, we got let off somewhere before we were taken away. For the most, Stephen O'Malley was there. And Stephen uh, is from Son and everything. He stayed on the bus and woke up in like Gdansk or something stupid. Um, mm. And he was supposed <laughs> to be staying. He was supposed to be staying with me in my room or something. I was. I woke up the next day, realized where the fuck is he? And he, he was woke up in Poland. But uh, we stayed out all night. I, I uh, was found by some um, heavy metal helpers uh, underneath, like a uh, at a train station at some three stations out from Vakan or four stations out. Someone came over and they like got the cops because they thought I, I might be dead or something. They put a blanket over me. Eventually, found my way back to the hotel. It was ten a.m. and who's the first person standing outside the breakfast room, looking resplendent in his waistcoat with his six-pack showing his David device, like just standing there while they're waiting for the lift. And me and Kieran are like, come back at like ten a.m., dirt and covered in mud and stinking. But I'm wearing this t-shirt, and I'd introduced myself briefly earlier on, and I was there like, I still a bit pissed. I was like, ah. Uh, how do you keep your voice? Blah blah blah. And he just looked at me. Goes by not doing this, man. I was like, yeah, probably. Okay. Went back to the hotel room. Take advice. Take advice from this man who's 
like probably done about 20 shows in his entire life like you know yeah well they furnace were touring quite often back in well, the 80s and but yeah anyway that was his advice i went back upstairs one uh, lay down and then half an hour later the alarm rang and it was like uh, back to dublin so that's the adventure of this virgin steel t-shirt which i'm pretty sure has not been worn pretty much since then but um i do love this record i think it's fucking one of the best heavy metal records well, this is, this is a very good gateway to what yeah. we're going to talk about today because yeah. one of the first things that we should talk about is the new Virgin Steel record. Oh. And what what do you think of that? Well, I have a, a so I have to declare somewhat of a conflict of interest because I did organise two. Um, well, Virgin Steel are on the same booking agency as as Primordial, um, and yeah. they've been there for years, and the band has just been sort of sitting. On ice a bit, and I said to the big boss, I'd really love to try and book Virgin Steel some shows. And I booked one in Spain and one in Crete for them. Um, so I would declare that. Um, it would be uh, remiss of me to not declare somewhat of um, a conflict of interest. Well, but I suppose I should do the same thing and say, if I'm going to start slagging off the production on the new Age and Steel album, I wrote some of the songs in that record. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah. Although we although we scoff, we are also guilty at the same time. You know? Yes, of course. Um, well, look, I mean, I love I love Virgin Steel. I love all the way. I love the first couple of albums, um, the eighties records, of course. Marriage of Heaven and Hell, one and two, especially two are two is brilliant. I love it. It's it's so it's so incredibly over the top, but you're just such um, great epic heavy metal, brilliant singing. Um, and then the House of Atreus, one and two, is like I love those records as well. And I'm not being like um, daft here. Invictus is one of the one of the best heavy metal records, epic heavy metal records ever made. I reckon. I think it's fucking brilliant. So how, how do you how do you figure it then in the in the lineage of things? Because they're obviously not quite you know like Manowar in '81, but like not quite like you know in the later stages of US power metal. So where, where does where does Virgin well, Steel fit into this? Well, Virgin Steel one um, is like '81, I think. And um, okay. so it's one of the first ever new waivers of American heavy metal records. It's just after Fire Down Under, I think, but it's before Battle Hymns. So it's, it's, I mean, it's more keyboardy, it's more rainbowy. It's got some Queen and stuff in it, but it's, it's a great record. Um, and that was Music for Nations 1, if I'm not correct. It was Music for Nations' very first license wow. um, in, uh, in Europe. Let me just look. R.A.P. Martin Hooker. Martin Hooker, the guy who really? set up Music for Nations, died, died there last year. Oh, really? So did. Okay. Independently, it was released in the beginning of 1982. First album released by Music for Nations. Yeah, I wasn't wrong. Subsequently released by Mongol Horde Records and Maze Records in Canada. It's one. It's a baffling cover. I think we talked about it before on our Weird Covers one, where it's got like a little guy on a kind of like uh, an electronic sort of snake. With a, it's not the guy with the little tweezers. Who's like trying to feed a, bird, a bee or something? It's a, like a little guy on a. Can you see it there? Oh, no, it's like, yeah, he's on a. Um, I'll bring it up on the screen. The it is a little guy, and he is sort of riding a robotic uh, snake, which, which he's also attacking. So snake monster. Yeah, because um, he has I, a sword. I think maybe there's a, one of the things that's happened is that we were talking about it um, not so long ago is that you know yourself there comes a, um, a part or moment when for a lot of old bands uh, where they stop rehearsing 
you know, because they're living in different places and it becomes a bit fragmented. People start to get used to trading files too much. And I think that's partly what happened to Virgin Steel. It's maybe that they ceased to be a band and he just was like, I can do this on my own. And just like keyboard drums. Just peel box you this demo. <laughs> yeah. And it, and then those demos become the album and people go, well, we don't really need a, a big studio and a drum sound and whatever. And, um, and oh, I think a lot of bands who do that, it, it, they suffer a lot, a lot in the Virgin Steel is one of them. Um, a little bit of ed- editing on the amount of like- the amount of songs on all of these records and maybe make the demo and then send it to someone else to mix it. Because if you listen to the new Virgin Steel, it's just, oh, it's, even the riffs that are okay are kind of compressed Unreal. by this dinky sound, you know? But I like, I, I know lads who could, if you send them all this. It's the, the same as like out, a, I think it's the same as, um, what I was going to say is, I think it's exactly the same as the new Savage Grace and things like that, where the budget was clearly 10,000 bucks and 8,000 bucks went on, you know, canopies and uh, tapas and things like that. And 2,000 bucks went into the drum programming and that was it. Um, I, I mean, like, it's not, you know yourself, like, the, 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 for people who don't necessarily understand sometimes, it's not impossible to program drums, but sample a great drum sound for those you know um those uh triggered yep. drums you don't need to, to go if you want to take the bass from from rainbow stargazer you kind of can so you, there's no excuse for a drum machine sounding yep. like a drum machine in 1987 anymore you can you can sample a great snare sound you know well, well listen to the last last hell ripper record it's all computer drums and it sounds fantastic it sounds really authentic but i think you need to go in and start moving things slightly off the grid oh. so it, it doesn't sound as you need to sort of start fucking about with it a little bit. Yeah, more, oh, for, for Speed Metal or something, yeah, I mean, if you remember the band Bewitched, remember them? I used to love this record, Pentagram Prayer, I think it's one of the, I still listen to it and I still think it's got killer, killer riffs, but it's because it's a, it's a drum machine and it's just like, ah, come on, it, 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 how hard is it to get a, just a drummer to play a straight rock beat to it, you know, and record it on well, a... Prob- probably in, in... I was going to say, in 1987, it was probably incredibly difficult to get a drum no, machine to fucking it, do that. Oh, yeah, sure, know? but no, no, no. I mean, Bewitched is like 1998 or something. Anyway, but, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's just like, it sounds like to me, like Virgin Steel is kind of like Edward Persino, the, the guitar player who's on all those good. It sounds like they don't sit down and write together and they don't rehearse and they don't rehearse with the drummer writing songs. Um, and then you just go, well, I can... I can do it kind of a computer and so you know similar things. Weird one because in some ways we're kind of shitting on these bands and also praising them in the sense that like obviously big Virgin Steel fans, but holy moly, like you know the last record was definitely made as an afterthought. Like you know where the name and that that's what I want to start talking about was the Savage Grace record, which was the same thing where they're like we have this name, so maybe we could like do a demo for a couple of hundred bucks and then just bring it out. See if anyone buys it. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing I will say about that is I do think there is, and knowing Dave a bit, um, there is an awful lot of thought that goes into what he's still doing. Like, like the, 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 you know, the messages between us are, he's it's super involved. He's not throwing it out there, just going like, Bleh. I think there's almost too much thought and maybe handing it off to someone else to mix might be good. But this is not really a, you know, like, it's, um, well, 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 we might as well sort of re- reach around to the reach around to the topic of the <laughs> the um, conversation 
which is which is well i mean we were just i was just listening to original sin and exorcist in sort of you know uh brushing up on this and there are two albums made by virgin steel basically in 86 as kind of like pretend records they wrote the songs and then you know obviously we're given some money by this record label and the whole whole vibe is the whole vibe is this kind of thing called well i guess it exists now uh, because since the 90s and stuff like heavy metal has been a thing that you could exploit but back in the day the idea of metal exploitation that you were gonna metal exploitation that's the word that's that's the name of the youtube of the specifically specifically try and uh, find some awful heavy metal and then like do some sort of rip off of it in the hope that you could sell it because thing people will not realize these days is back in the day you just went into a record shop and looked at the front cover and were yeah. like is this worth you know is this worth a fiver and you didn't know until you got home in which case yeah if you heard any of these records that we're going to talk about you'd immediately be looking for your receipt yeah you would i mean the thing about it is i was just on the like this is this label cobra records from canada yeah and according to the wikipedia pile driver the exalted pile driver pile driver the metal inquisition sold between that stay ugly according to the website five hundred thousand copies and they're just who wrote, who wrote this wikipedia page i guarantee no. it was the exalted pile driver himself like yeah <laughs> um or i think by the way didn't that guy die from beyond the grave that's even more chilling yeah <laughs> um yeah and i mean i read a big interview with uh this Cobra Records. Cobra Records was like a subsidiary of some other bigger label. And I read an interview with the guy who was basically, he was working in, he wasn't into, he was into indie music, whatever was going on. But he played the guitar. And the label boss kind of, this is what I remember, um, I was said to him, we've got to get in on this metal stuff. Do you know any metal bands? We've got to sell, because metal's selling a lot, you know, and we've got to get yep. some, got to get some bands. He goes, well, I haven't a clue. And then they just hatched this idea, which was, well, you could play the guitar. If I buy you 20 records, will you just, make a record that copies these records so we went out and bought like black metal and a bunch of other things venom and some other stuff yep. slayer and stuff so they him and his girlfriend apparently wrote pile driver the metal inquisition in one weekend got a local metalhead in as the cover who's the guy i think he sings on it maybe maybe not i'm not sure i think it's maybe the guitar guy because it's it's a drum machine again and then um they release it and it sells like i mean I think it's all really well. So I think they won some awards and stuff. So basically the deal was that Cobra Records was a legit uh, label in Canada that used to yeah. license records. So they licensed like Creator Records and whatnot, Death Angel, like lots of big ones. And I guess what the deal was that, as you said, the subsidiary that the, it was owned by, they were making money out of this and they said, wait a minute, there's actually a lot of money in this heavy metal stuff here. So what if we use some of the profits from this to try and make some what you would call cheap market knockoffs? Yeah, yeah. Like, do you remember when you were a kid and you would go to the local market and they would have a Liverpool top that would maybe <laughs> not say crown? It didn't say crown paints on it, but it might say <laughs> crown pants on it or something. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah. Well, it's that, um, uh, that Alan Partridge. Oh, no, it's Tommy Tommy Hilfinger. <laughs> no. Yeah, but you know that I think that's the vibe. So. Up, Obviously, it was uh, it was the guys at the label said, "Listen, these guys in Piledriver know what they're doing. They made a record, so let's get them." And so, did they make? Is it did they just record a second Virgin Steel record, or what was oh, the deal? Well, what I understood happened was that um, this guy in the Cobra Records employee he wrote Metal Inquisition, and then he kind of got into metal a bit. So he said in the interview, it was an interview with them. There was this great fanzine 
um, uh, quite a famous German old tape trader, 80s heavy metal guy. And he used to have this, like, I think it's called Iron Fist or Iron Pit or there's something, The Pit, maybe, or some Frank, is it Frank Was Stover? it Iron, Iron Pages or Snake Pit? Or maybe, it, maybe it's Frank Stover. I know, because I used to write to him in like maybe 91, 92. And his fanzine was great. And then he, he, he kind of, he got moved away from black and thrash to more like traditional heavy metal. But he interviewed this guy and he said that him and his girlfriend wrote that record. And then they kind of got into metal a bit and he wanted to have the band, but the label were like, no, it's, you're not having the band. It's our creation. So then somehow they got in touch with Virgin Steel and Edward Prisino and Bert David DeVoyce. They wrote the second album, Stay Ugly, um, because they were beginning to be known for this in, in maybe in the industry because they'd written Exorcist Nightmare Theatre, which is Virgin Steel with an affected vocal. And oddly enough, I just listened to it. And how much does the first song sound like a monomark? And like the riff, the singing, roll, roll, it kind of sounds like Johan a bit. Anyway, I that's because there's like one of the things that we'll find, like talking about all these bands in this kind of genre, is that no matter how convincingly you can, you know, program the drums or riff the guitars, the singing is always, always an afterthought. And yeah. like, especially the later on we get some of the singing, it's just kind of background. <laughs> that like that's not a joke. That's actually what some, and we're going to link some of this stuff on this video. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, some of it, so, some of it. You have to. I'm sure we could probably play some of it in the background, but I don't know if that would get the thing pulled. But some of it can't be copyrighted. Some of this. What's this record that the label we're going to go on to talk about with Trash Queen and all that kind of stuff? This is this blew my mind. I went on a whole YouTube as much of it as I could find, and it just gets fucking. You dig yourself into this hole, and you're like. You come out, and you're like your brain is like, what the fuck. But so, so, they, so, so basically, going going back to uh, Cobra Records, then yeah, the the records that they made without the involvement of the band, obviously. So, is it the the guys from Virgin Steel? They made the Pile Driver record or the second the Pile second, Driver record? Second one, Stay Ugly. Yeah. So, as I and is there any is there anyone involved from the first Pile Driver, or was that just like? No, I think I think the label label just took it from the guy who wrote it, but it wasn't really it wasn't really his band. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, I don't know how it ended up in the hands of Virgin Steel. I'm sure there's some fucking heavy metal nerds there who are. I guess they were just hanging about in the studio making their record, and the guys from the label said, "Listen, while you're here, do you fancy recording this pile driver record? We're going to record another album called Nightmare Theater by this band Exorcist." Which is like such a cool, and if you see the cover of it, it's such a nearly, nearly authentic idea, isn't it? Which, like, which if you look, it's Nightmare Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's nearly like if you looked at it at a glance, you would say this seems exactly like a legit, you know, like a repulsion yeah. style first wave band, right? Yeah, it it looks it's nineteen eighty six. It's got it looks a bit like a Death SS. So it's got zombies or something on the front. And on yeah. when you listen to it, you're like, it's it is a drum machine, but there's kind of cool riffs in it. It's not bad, but it's got like like affected shift yep. death metal vocals like it's not got authentic possessed vibes going on or anything it's not it's not a bad uh, record at all actually and there's actually this is the kind of the most surprising thing because the pile driver record the uh, exorcist nightmare theater record it is kind of you can tell that they were done in a very very kind of cheap and unimaginative manner in some ways but there's a record called the lords of the crimson alliance yeah yeah, yeah. you heard it yeah yeah it's it's great. It's kind of like, it's weird. It's kind of like nearly like a Black Sabbath album from the 80s, full of really loud keyboards, and oh, it's weird as fuck, but like it's class. It's kind of like, 
a mix between Rainbow and Sabbath and low budget. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, it's um, okay. It's rumored that this mysterious band is called Rudge. A band called this is from Excyclopedia Metallum. Um, it's rumored that this mysterious band is Grudge playing under pseudonyms, similar to what Ralph Hubert did with Mick on Delta. What? Yeah. Both, both bands recorded their albums at Fabulous Lenny's Metal Shop. Mm. Mm. Fabulous Lenny? Yeah, on the 1988 Crack the Sky cut. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's 1986. All these records seem to be all around 1986. Somebody kind of went, that trash was getting huge, and they were sort of like, yeah, let's just... Um, Let's just make some money out of this. But Lords of Crimson Alliance, on that label, there's also last label, Grudge Records. Yeah, let's have a look at them. It's a weird one as well, because actually, I don't know if you've ever heard this record uh, from the Mega Vault. It's a Mega Force compilation record. It's got like um, stuff like uh, Battle Beyond the Stars by uh, Medieval Steel on it. But okay, there's a band say, say it again. What's it called? It's called From, uh, from the Mega Vault or right, the Mega Vault. Yeah. But there's a couple of bands on it that were totally made up as well, where like Megaforce had some musicians hanging about in the studio and they're like, okay, I think one of them's called Imperious Rex. Okay, I see. Here we go. Medieval Steel, Battle Beyond the Stars, Overkill, Sonic Reduce, Ain't No Loser, Exciter, Death Revenge, TT Quick. Brilliant. And this is all, these are all great songs. Winging a Prayer, Raven, Take It Away, Imperious Rex, Red Diamond. So that's a that's a made up band. That's just a band that uh, Johnny Z had some guys in the studio, and they're like, okay, they were. I think they were recording like an alternative rock or something album. And he said, "Is there any chance you could do a metal song for my compilation?" Blessed Death, Painkiller, Blessed Death. Wow, they their first album was great. Blessed Death, I have that. Song. Was it yep. called Killer Be Killed? No, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sod, Ram It Up, which isn't on Big English or Die. Anthrax Panic, Blue Cheer, Boney Maroney. What are they doing at the end of that record? It's one of these weird ones that they were part of Metal, uh, or sorry, um, uh, Megaforce's roster in the mid 80s. I guess they got back together and they were like, hey, this heavy rock music is back in vogue. So we're going to give it a bash, like, you know. So it's um, uh, mainly a cassette compilation. And it's yep. a, if you're listening, pleasure recorded in Dolby. <laughs> mm. Lovely. But it is worth a punt because there's a bunch of songs by bands like Exciter and SOD and stuff on it that are totally unique to that. And they're like, you know. Well, the the Overkill, uh, that song is used, that's Dead Boys, but that's on Field of Fire, right? Um, I think it's probably on a a tape. And like, I guess this was the shtick back in the day. Like, like the version of Lesbians, the studio version by Nuclear Assault, it's not on any recording apart from the cassette, you know, so... Right, said the same thing. So occasionally, a cassette would have a different. Similar with um, "Punishment for Decadence," that this confusing cover of um, uh, Jimi Hendrix was only on the cassette. Yeah, but that—that's probably right. because they were like, "This fucking sucks," like you know. That's such weird because it starts with "darm darm darm darm," but it's like as if they cut off the the first the swell of the first note. It's like they just they edited the tape and actually fuck it, just stick it on there. I think it's totally incongruous. Like it doesn't fit at all with the fucking. Used to drive me mad when I was a kid. Like, what the fuck is this doing on the? Anyway, whatever. I'm on a big coroner binge at the moment. The last, the first four records. What a fucking band! Yeah, great band. We're uh, playing a gig with them now next month oh, yeah? in Me- Mexico. It's like a. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a Hellstar, Coroner, and Dark Angel. So that'll be going to bed at six o'clock in the evening. Day getting extremely Tasty. drunk and watching that. Tasty. I, yeah, I saw Coroner at um, Hellfest for the first time and. It was it was really good, although they didn't seem. I'm not sure they really understood that most people were there to hear "We're Born Through Hate" and "Mass Jackal" and 
in the first couple of albums because they persisted in playing like a couple of songs off Grin as if like this is the album we've all been waiting to hear. I mean, I, I admired it in a way. I, I wouldn't mind it in a 90 minute set, but it's kind of like, all right, all right, come on, can we get to you get a lot of uh, b- uh, bands like Rage do that as well, where they place such an importance on like the album from '92 or '93, as if this is their best or most recognized work, you know. But I don't, know. don't you feel the winter? My favorite bit is when he's singing and he steps away from the microphone, just randomly, and then goes back to it. And you're supposed to say, "Because I used to have this amazing Noise Records um, video compilation that we used to play." Doomsday News is it? Yeah, but it had like Sado. Gambling fool. And if you've never seen that video, that's quite something. They're all uh, playing on the stairs with all these girls walking by, and yeah. And then say Sado, uh, Sado Scanner, Celtic Frost, Cherry, oh Cherry, um, Creator doing Toxic Trace, which is a fucking great video. Yep. <clears throat> Voivod crushing everybody with um, um, what's the song from Dimension Nature Us about AIDS? You're going to the science, the science hospital. Ravenous uh, medicine, ravenous medicine, isn't it? Yeah, it's a great song. It's weird though. Like that video and the toxic trace video are so alike. They all yeah. have really, really bad kind of VHS green screen on them. And yeah, yeah. But they're kind of cool. For, is there some like? Is there like a death row song on that as well? And like maybe DAM. Because I remember seeing a DAM video and being like, man, this is so insanely low budget. Like, um, I'm not sure. Mass Jackal's on it. And of course, it's, it's quite film noir, sort of gloomily filmed. They were just so ahead of everybody in terms of aesthetics, Garner. Their, their video looks like, actually, this is pretty mature kind of stuff, you know, like a politician in a stand and sort of people running by from sort of a shot body down a kind of dimly lit uh, tunnel. Such a weird story, though, as well, don't they? It's kind of like... Man of War, a couple of them were Black Sabbath roadies on the Heaven and yeah. Hell or the Black and Blue tour with Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. I think. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's how they got together. And it was the same thing with Corner. Corner were all uh, Celtic Frost roadies. Yeah. So they were... Listen to the Corner demo, Death Cult. I mean, Tom G is singing on some of it, or if not all yep. of it, uh, for seemingly no reason. I don't really understand as well. You know, but there's a great deal. On one of the Doomsday News compilations, there's a song called Hate, Fire, and Blood by Corner, which isn't even on any record. It's a fucking banger. It's like when you could find, yeah. you know, like after the attack, creator is only yeah. on the after the attack, pleasure to kill, uh, picture is. Um, that's fucking one of my favorite creator songs. Yeah, I mean, like uh, there's a whole bunch of things like that as, as well, especially in thrash, where you would see bands like Exodus or Nuclear Assault having songs that were specifically only on B sides. And kind of one of the weird things about them is they tend to not be on. Spotify, like it tends to be the sort of thing you have to go and have a look around yeah, YouTube yeah. and you'll yes. you'll find songs from the game over session or whatever. You what know? was the Voivod one? Cockroaches, wasn't it? Yeah, it was good. That was a cool picture disc. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, what do we Yeah, so about? like we're going back to like because I guess like it's weird, like the VHS explosion is part of this whole idea that like you know you like people realize that metal fans had a bunch of money and you know, Metallica or Iron Maiden were going to bring out a record every couple of years so in the meantime there was a whole bunch of time to exploit cash out of them and you saw this in movies as well in italy in the 1980s they were always making like rip-offs of robocop or rip-offs of yeah, terminator yeah. and you know because the whole idea was that basically if something like robocop came out in september it mightn't get to england or france until the next year things didn't have an immediate release the way they do now nowadays so there was an opportunity where you could maybe confuse people you know, like a dad who's gone through a divorce and he's forgot that it's uh, one of those kids' birthdays and he has to buy a CD <laughs> at a petrol station. And yeah, the yeah. CDs in the petrol station are of that nature. So 
that's the kind of that's the sort of level of exploitation we're looking at here. But but this, um, but it's kind of weird because this is obviously um, you are maybe what you do is you got known for being a session musician who could write these records within the sort of grimy, the, the grubby basement confines of the industry. And maybe it was worth five or ten thousand dollars. You're gonna go. Could you could you make an album like somewhere between Possessed and Slayer? Okay, let's try and do that. You know. Yep. Exactly, especially whenever, as we were talking about with uh, like uh, Cobra Records and stuff, they were making so much money off licensing albums. They were like, this is a no-brainer here, guys. We should just make a record and we'll make 100% of the profit instead of having to pay a licensing fee. And I I don't even know if these bands, they must have been on some labels, but uh, there was a band called Thrash Queen. I'm not 100% sure where they were from. And there was a band called Killer Fox, and they were from America. Oh. Oh. And so basically, I think these two records were made in about 1983 or 1984. Hang on, hang on. I've been all over this, man. I have been. We have your. I have your link here um, up. Cobra Records. Well, Cobra Records Canada. So what was the one you sent me? This okay. Metal Enterprises. Okay, so this is. Yeah. I mean, this is. Hang on a second. This is the gold here, I guys. Have- Oh, Destroy it. all your Dark Throne records immediately because you're not going to need them anymore after this. I, this, this occupied most of my Friday uh, evening. So uh, curses and blessings to you on, on, on an equal regard because I've been obsessed with, the, uh, with this label now and sending it to people to annoy them, uh, well, for the last two days. So, so the, gist, the gist, though, like basically was that to, to preset the scene that yeah. this guy... Uh, was a manager for Crossfire or some Belgian or anyway, he was a manager for some band in the mid eighties yeah. and he decided to set up a label and he licensed two of the worst albums ever, which is an album called thrash queen, which is the first ever female thrash band. Yeah, and then yeah. another album called uh, killer Fox. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess maybe part of the deal of his license with them was that the band had to surrender their rights to the name. It's insane. I mean, we should first of all say for anybody listening, I'll put the link up. It's it's the Corosium, Colosseum, Corosium, Corosa, Corosium. Yep. It's a great article. By yeah, the way. yeah, it's a brilliant article. Whoever's written it has written it with a, a great sense of humor. But that's a that's a website, a heavy metal website, full of really amazing stuff. I've been rooting, rooting around it now for all weekend. Reminds me of the kind of thing that I was delighted in finding when I first got the bloody internet, like somewhere in on, on a tiny screen, waiting for this thing to load up. You know, in nineteen ninety, whatever it was. And I was on my time looking for you know, obscure fucking heavy metal records. I remember one called The Boneyard, which was just... Yes, it, it was it listed, Yeah, it was amazing. It just listed all the underground records from every country, you know. Um, but Metal Enterprises, this is the name of the label. So The Light of Day, somewhere around 85, 86. Very hard to tell exactly this is what the guy's writing, since very few of their albums stated release or recording dates. And the first three were licensed, Killer Queen, Killer Fox, and Trash Queen. I don't know, if you, you need to go and listen to Trash Queen. It's... it's it will break your brain. It's just the, like, the idea that you would want to license this record to release it in Europe is just insane. Yeah, you, you cannot believe. It sounds like Adam Craft were playing down a hall and there was a woman screaming. Yeah, oh, and I mean, sc- screaming is too much. It's not even screaming. It's kind of like it's like a very loud, high pitched conversation. Yeah, people are trash. People are trash. Like a sort of a French woman. It's like as if you, as if we, as if we were going, we were sitting here drinking. You went, somebody next door having a fucking, fucking fight or making delivering a lecture, and we turned out the music we're listening, and we could hear somebody being berated next door. But that's how the vocals sound. It's fucking, it's mental. 
and it's it's kind of captivating in a very weird way. I listen to almost the whole thing, and it's just kind of what the fuck, kind yeah. of you know. So the metal enterprises came to define the term metal metal exploitation. Metal does that work? Metal exploitation. Metal exploitation. He hasn't got the S though. He just says exploitation. And they did actually license or release a Booza Uncle's record, which is what was their cash cow. And obviously then after that, they tried to kind of cash in. So the sidebar has some of the most amazing records. J.J. Tull. At that, at now, I don't even know if you could... Like, this, the song that I heard by J.J. Tull has actually disrupted my life quite badly. Like it's uh, I, I sent this link to about half a dozen people Damn. trying to annoy them. It's called It's Lily Marlene. It's like, you know, the bit in Blazing Saddles where Lily von Stuck sings the German Schlager song. Get your yep. feet off the stage, cowboy. Are you in show business or whatever, you know? Yep. Um, um, it's kind of like uh, German Schlager, um, I don't know, 1920s, I might mean, we'll say Brechtian. Oh, we can't use that word. Um, well, like, the Schlager like a, is definitely, definitely a word that I would associate yeah, with it, man. With a drum machine and like punk rock, all you kind of riffs under it. But a woman singing in a German accent. Would that be fair? I would say if you, if you could imagine a really badly recorded version of Doctor Steen by Halloween with someone singing Lily Marlene on top of it. I don't think. It, I don't think that. Com- I think. I. I think you're playing, giving it too much musical credit. There, it's like, it's like somebody who could, who, like an oi. Basically, a lot of this is like a punk oi guy who can play the guitar a bit. He has a mate who can do weird. Kind of solos and some of the other well, records. Well, about. The thing that's very important that it goes just, like step over the band is called JJ Tull. Like, what does that tell you about the, <laughs> the idea? Like, JJ Tull. Like, but the, and the cover is kind of like a, a you know, a kind of, oh my God. it's a, like a, a stage with the curtains kind of half drawn and somebody like going to sing, but there's like amps and fog behind It's it, that's it's, absolutely insane. And like, a, that's the thing that I would say about all these metal enterprise things. The thing, like the Cobra records, you could tell that they were probably trying to seriously have a punt. Yeah. You know, like somebody who made a movie called uh, Friday the 15th or something. They yeah. were just trying to make a couple of bucks. This yeah. is like, it really makes you think, were they serious when they did it? Or uh, it's very, I mean, well, we're not, we're on the tip of the iceberg here. Like JJ Toll has actually, as you say, it's, it's kind of haunting me for the for the weekend. It's it's I've thought about it uh, at least half a dozen times over the last three days, and it's and I'm 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 kind of happy and quite upset about that at the same time. Yeah, it's absolutely absolutely insane music. But it, it, I guess it kind of sets the template for all these metal enterprises oh, there's, records. There's a record here the- called "I'm Just Gonna Satan's Servants." This is. This is insane. Okay, th- now his review is your halfway uncle's four track demos from hell. Um, dressed in a remarkably blasphemous sleeve, uh, which it is quite mental, the sleeve. I don't know how they got it pressed. Totally lifeless after ski bar band covers of Mambo's Son, San Francisco's Hey Sugar Sugar, but done in a sort of. Again, Schlager type style is the kind of vibe, isn't it? But it's got it's almost s- a lighthearted kind of like shit. But idea. it's got something. It's supposed to be like satanic or evil about it. This one, which I'm going to get before we have to go on to the next video, Godzilla. This is if, yeah, you, ever, if you ever had ah, if you ever had nightmares about what an AOR reggae crossover played by German retards 
would sound like this is this guy's review of it um, and the song the song is i followed the zombie and it's like uh, it's like 80s thrash metal meets reggae but all played slightly off time and out of kilter like it's actually maddening to listen to like it, it sort of drove me mad well this is the thing there is a wee bit of a hp lovecraft style buzz about this in the sense that like if you hear the music of eric zahn like you know that's contained in these records it's ah uh, and, and I, keep, I keep wanting to go and being like there's so many other records i should go and listen to it and they always start with the same like the the intro is always some going yeah 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 and the cover is cool because the cover is like a skeleton with like a vampire teeth with like a, a green helmet and it looks like a manila road kind of imagery yep. and you're like, that looks pretty cool and then it's like I think what it it just sort of broke my brain, you know. And do you think though that like the 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 cover art though is something like it is low budget across the board. Every album cover is pretty pretty grim, but I guess like they must have been selling these cheaper. Like it must have been if a copy of an Iron Maiden record was like five guilders, then this must have been. I mean, Gilder, one of the or? bands is called Super Bad. I couldn't find that even as a link. Nile Temple, um, Kalashnikov was where it started. Okay, hang on, we need to stop and start once again. Um, and then we need to start with Kalashnikov. By the way, I need to get to that. Okay, all right. So hang on, I got. Second. <laughs> This is the bit with the sing the whistling. Damn it. Which song? Is, uh, is it just that? I, I think it's the first song. It's got like a horrible intro and then like after a minute yeah. it just breaks into some whistling over the top of it. It's and the the cover is all these people being tortured, and then it has in the middle of it an Ilsa cock from Buchenwald, like concentration camp, just like, just like in the middle of the artwork. Maybe this is it. Wait, wait, wait. Hang on. No. I'm sure I can play this, can't I? I'm not sure. Maybe. The whistling bit, though. Like a minute in. Hang on. This guy who posted this, he likes the whistling bit. He said that, or maybe this is it. So, 1988. Well, I think that one's, it's the... It's the second Kalashnikov album, the one with the picture of the desert and a Kalashnikov on the cover. Oh, you're right. Fuck, uh, we're not going to get the. Um, oh yeah, what was you're that? You're not going to feel the benefit of the whistling, and like this has to be. This it has puts, to be heard. It puts the Scorpions to absolute shame. You know. Um, no, no. I mean, that's what I, I wanted to start off by, with that whistling. But now you've fucking. You're oh, right. Hold on, I'll, find, I'll find it and play it into my phone. And we can't. We surely can't be. Pulled up over 
you know, the Kalashnikov lawyers are going, oh, here we are. Hang on. Oh, no, that's JJ Tull. Do you see what this has made of our lives? It's, it's not good, is it? Oh, here we go. Hang on. Wait, I've got it. Um, for people watching this who are just like, what are these two Egypts doing? When you hear the whistling, you will understand, like... Uh, Check out the album cover. It's fucking insane. Like, it's absolutely insane. Like. All right, hang on. Come on, you slow piece of shit. This is going to make good viewing, isn't it? Yeah, people will be enthralled. <laughs> but it's close. There it is there. Right, so it's 34 seconds in. Okay, yeah. Of Cesar Witch is the name of the song by Kalashnikov. Yeah. Now, this might seem like a waste of your time watching this video, ladies and gentlemen, but I assure you it's not uh, because you're going to hear. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Here's some excellent whistling in heavy metal. Yeah, which, like I mean, said, we'll put the scorpions right to fucking bed. Yeah. Oh, my computer just doesn't. I think my computer knows it's trying to sabotage this because it knows so many people it's going to upset. Do you know what I mean? I will. I'm going to stick it on here, mm -hmm. and you're going to have to bear with it in the worst possible quality here, okay? Hang on. They're running wild, like, you know, right off in the... Zen power! Yeah! It's really upset me. Like, it's... Like... Like I stopped okay. what I was doing, which was like, I think I was listening to like Sabotage by Black Sabbath. And uh, you sent me a message and I, I took the needle off her going, all right, I need to see what this is about. And I played it and I was just like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do with this. So there's, um, you've got Trash King, Killer Fucker, making love yeah. on electric chair. Um, and this is a weird sort of like white power exploitation album, the guy has said. It's got weird pervy lyrics and awful vocals and it's sort of like it's like they try to cash in on like sort of right wing punk did, did well. they say that the, they, they basically they had uh, a kind of they had some sort of German uh, band that was like a skinhead band or like a more extreme Mac, Mac lads type affair yeah. but they ended up doing really well and I think that probably financed all the rest of the bollocks yeah, that was going on, on the label it, like you know it's like they're just flinging stuff everywhere and they're going yeah. fuck it sure let's make a right wing punk record it's hilarious like it's so awful um, extreme napalm terror, which is supposed to be grindcore. Yeah, but it's like it's weird the way they would do that. Like this is like this album came out in 1990. How did yeah. they know in 1990 that it was a good idea to exploit napalm death and you know fucking extreme no noise terror's name? Those no, bands were not even fucking huge bands by then. It's it, it doesn't seem to even have song titles. This record it doesn't even seem to have lyrics. It's just I don't know. It's like what they did is him. He and his mate 
got um I'm not I can't even say they got like fucking coked up or something like this. I'd say they got a bunch of cheap cider in. They have a cheap studio in his shed in the back garden and they wrote like 50 songs one weekend on slightly with slightly different settings and told them, like, yeah, well, that'll do. And then got their mates to just come in and shout over them. Because the, the ones with the yeah. female singing are like, it's it's fucking insane. <laughs> yeah. So there's one record here that's actually kind of normal, Black Virgin, with the guitar, yes. C, which is, and that's sort of like Venom Warfare. It could have been on Neat Records. It's not terrible. Um, I, I didn't, to be honest, because it was almost quite good. It sort of ruined things a bit for me. Thrash Queen Manslayer, which is like sort of like anti-male thrash metal with four girls who are definitely not on the record. They're just like four. They look like four glammy kind of girls. The songs are all called like "Let's Make Love in the Refrigerator," you know. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I don't know what the fuck. I don't know. Like, I guess the thing possibly was that this guy was releasing all these records, thinking one of these bands will catch on, and when that does, me and my mate who plays the guitar are off to Valhalla. Like, you know. I mean, the Killer Fox. Is. They have a song called Orgasm of Death, and it's one of the best songs I've ever heard. Like, it's up there with Sword of Sagon, where the intro is just so long and involved. You're like, what the fuck is going on? It's, I, I, I mean, I. All the albums start with this kind of thing. Yeah, and like, that's the year, is the year 40,039. It's <laughs> it's class. <laughs> Turn it up so the people can hear it there. The cover is uh, goes on for ages. <laughs> And the cover, I stared at the cover for ages while I was listening to this. And it's like, at first it looks like a sort of something you see in a Japanese restaurant of somebody like filleting a piece of sashimi or something like, you know, but it's not. It's a guy whose head is like a dragon attacking um, a fish. I thought it was a snake. Is it a fish? Is it? Well, it's a snake. It's true. It's a snake. Uh, with a conscious and naked woman just thrown into the background as a cloud. Um, You've, it's really upset me. Well, I mean, it's actually one of the more high budget though, uh, uh, metal enterprises covers because it seems to be drawn with some competence. Whereas if you think of like the cover of that JJ Tull oh, album, I'm, like I'm going to say JJ Tull now, uh, <laughs> just in the background, uh, because Singing. No, no, no. This it's the Miss Marlene one we want, isn't it? Lily uh, Marlene. I mean, if that wasn't enough for you. Here we go. Lily Marlene. Okay, here we go. Let's just add these as links so that people can enjoy them in the totality of rock. Sent this to like at least six people who've come back upset with me. Go, what what are you sending me this shit for? And I go, it's well, really important I that people hear this. This <laughs> is like seeing the Zebruder tips part two. So it is. When it's what's happened, very, is, very important. Because it's upset me, I want to upset other people with it. Do, do yeah. you know what I mean? mm. 
Absolutely. Like, and as you said, occasionally you will see things that for some reason are actually okay. Like Metal Exploitation, or sorry, that uh, Metal Enterprises, they did uh, one of the Crossfire albums, you know, the oh, Belgian yeah. thrash band. Yeah. And I think, you know, that uh, is the Swedish, the like sort of AOR band Escape, they did one of their records as well, and et cetera, et cetera. But I guess these were bands who were on labels like Mausoleum. And then once they got kicked off Mausoleum, they were looking for a home. And yeah. Metal Enterprises was sitting going, Come to me, well, my love. What, what fascinates me there about Metal Enterprise, they also seem to have picked up like the sort of the name, the copyright of dead named bands, like bands who have disappeared and just like reimagined them with nothing compared to their previous sound with totally different members and just like taking their logo. It's, yep. Which is, I don't you know. know. Rock, and, rock and roll does have a history of this kind of stuff, like Fleetwood Mac. There were, when they were on tour in America, there was another version of Fleetwood Mac who were out on tour as well. Like, you know, just call them themselves Fleetwood Mac. And they were hired by Fleetwood Mac's managers to really? go out there and pretend to be Fleetwood Mac. Well, so there was just two of them. But I mean, at any well, there was time, a real Fleetwood Mac who were in the studio making a record in LA. And their managers had hired a bunch of fucking nerdy wells and called them Fleetwood Mac. But you'll know this as well. <clears throat> this is an interesting side bit. It's not really metal exploitation, but it's the same idea. Um, in about 1970, Thin Lizzy, the three-piece Thin Lizzy, recorded a record of Deep Purple covers. Really? Yeah, have you ever heard that now? No. And that was again, that was like, uh, some label said, yeah, Deep Purple are real popular. Could you record a, a load of Deep Purple songs? Well, I know that it was a common thing for mm -hmm. labels. If one of the one band on the label was doing really well in 69 to 72, another band wasn't, to try and get the band who doing well to do a cover of one of their songs to boost their career, which yep. is what you can see Black Sabbath did that. Also, like maybe Judas Priest, Better By You, Better Than Me, Spooky Tooth. They were on the same label. I, oh really? Yeah, I didn't they, know they, that. They, maybe they like. Oh, I think so. I think maybe they like the song. I don't know, but it's not a bad song. But Sabbath definitely. I, I mean, there's covers on all of the like the first Sabbath albums. What two covers on? The Wizard, The Warning as well. You know. Yeah, that's it. The, the Lizzie album is called Funky Junction. So it is. Never ever even heard of that. So it's on a uh, YouTube. Funky Junction play uh, plays a tribute to the music of. Uh, of Deep Purple. But yeah, it's just uh, like saying what Fireball, did? Black Knight, and et cetera, et cetera. Really? Yeah. So, you've got, so Phil Linnett is singing Black I don't know Knight. if Phil Linnett is singing. It might actually be instrumental, but it's definitely, it's the three the three lads from the OG. Lizzie. So Eric, so Eric Lizzie Bell. Lizzie. Eric Bell yeah. is on that. Wow. That's, um, it's momentarily shifted me off the memory of Lily Marlene by J.J. Toll. <laughs> JJ at all. And there's like so much stuff like that where it's kind of like a guy will be called Johnny Scandal. And like, they're like, check it out. There's a video by a guy called Johnny Scandal. And it's kind of like a really lame Billy Idol, but again, mixed with Schlager music, like, you know, and oh, God. It's so I, hard to, I, I, hard I to stomach, could, but you really want to listen to it. I wish we could figure out how to play it and look at it, which is, I guess that's what reaction people do, is it? Yeah, well, I guess we can just intersplice it with people rocking out to Johnny Scandal and being like, holy shit. Well, I suppose back then so many things were actually selling some, like lots of records. It was just kind of like, well, the four of us might try as well get together and make a... Totally. I mean, that, that was kind of what Poison was, wasn't mm -hmm. it? 
Absolutely, and that was the thing. Like you hear people like Max Scavler and James Hatfield talking about that with the first Maiden album, as in going in, and they were like, "We'd never heard this. We had no frame of reference whatsoever, apart from it looked cool." Yeah, and it's the same as like we kind of grew up going into VHS shops, and you looked at the cover of the video, and that was the important thing. Yeah. So like, if you look at all those exploitation videos and like you know Italy and stuff, there was always a ton of helicopters and shit on the cover of the videos, and there was very seldom helicopters in the movies. You know, they're just like. If we blow the load on the front cover, people yeah. might buy this. Like you know, you see, this is a this is a realm of stuff that I don't know very much about because for some reason in the eighties when most kids were getting on there, movies that you love, I was not. I mean, I didn't see Rambo till I was in my thirties and stuff. Right, so uh, I just say the first Rambo film, First Blood, is it? That's it. Yeah, I seem to have missed all these sort of um, you know First Blood Schwarzenegger reference things. I don't. They're just not in my. I don't know what I was doing. But I was, You're not uh, pleasantly surprised by First Blood and how highbrow it was? No, I, I thought it was great, actually, yeah. I, although, having said that, I did like uh, the last one, where uh, where he seemed to kill about 3,000 people. Oh, is this Rambo versus the Mexicans, was it? Oh, is that, that's another one I don't know about. Rambo just versus the Mexicans, is that the name? Yeah, so they, they did one about 10 years ago. It was like Rambo murders a million people in like Burma, um, and then yeah. they did one about three years ago where he had short hair, and it was Rambo... Versus the border crisis, like you know. What really? With Sylvester yeah. Stallone. Yeah, it's really bad. I wouldn't watch it. But isn't that the reason why you'd watch it though? No, because like I thought that last one, the one from, isn't you talking about the one where it's like him going to rescue a load of missionaries and yeah, just, yeah, that one was really good. It was you know just does what it says on the tin kind of Rambo, wasn't it? There was an awful lot of at people and like and like Paddy Fields going up and like. Yeah, and the baddies were real baddies because, as well as being baddies, they're also pedos or something like that, weren't they? I seem to recall. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean. But yeah, so like, go on. Uh, we're going right. to go back to our, our topic of this evening metal exploitation. Like, is there anything else you can think of outside of these labels? Like, because it the, it's the same vibe. If you went on holidays, you would go and get a Best of Iron Maiden tape yeah. that was not by Capitol Records or EMI Records. It oh, like, by... you mean like. Supply by night distributors, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, that was one of the first times when I went to Eastern Europe in the late 90s, d- delighted in getting like ACDC bootlegs by some, you know, with like Xeroxed fucking uh, cover or something like this, you know? Yeah, like I think that's where this this is where it all came from the idea that back in the heyday of physical media, people were willing to pay for anything as long as it looked vaguely like the real McCoy, you know? But, kind of like um, cheap cheap cigarettes, you know. <laughs> but I'm still just like sorry, I'm trying. I'm, I'm still sort of staggered by this, you know, this metal enterprises thing. And I also realize I don't have any of the releases. Like, and I also no. don't remember ever seeing them in secondhand stores in Dublin or something. You know, like, so, like. But that begs the question: What sort of distribution did these records have? Did these albums only come out in Germany or? Yeah, I mean, all of them like are a kind of mystery to me in that I've never flicked through. Like, none of them look familiar to me as if I've seen the cover and gone, no. "Oh, Black Virgin." Like, I've never like looked through a second-hand record store. I found one record second record store in France there a while ago on tour, and literally the entire bin, which was about 100, 200 records, was eighties metal records. I didn't know. Yeah, I knew some of the names. I was just like, I was just like, I think I took about ten pictures and sent them to you. Of just shitty, awful album covers, and just um, look at these fucking shit. And I realized, like, 
it's, a, it's like the tip of the iceberg. There's just so much of that stuff out there that I just don't know, you know? Well, I think that there's probably a good reason why you don't know a lot of the stuff is that it's not worth knowing about, like, you know? But that's why we, your humble servants in Metal Salvage, are here that's listening good. to it. So, well, in this case, it's not so you don't have to. It's so that you have to, look, you know? Yeah, are you are you feeling up filling up your crack pipe there to what do they call it honk? I'm your having a honk pipe? a honk of a uh, of a bifter in the name of uh, Metal Enterprises and their greatness, but yeah, it is weird. Like I think it's something that has probably died with the end of physical media being and uh, uh, you know that kind of thing. You know, cheap DVDs of films that were trying to be like Robocop or you know cheap metal albums that were trying to be like Iron Maiden or whatever you know because there was no physical because there's no physical sales anymore there's no exactly you can't trick people into buying something now they have to see the trailer or hear a snippet of the song they're not going to just buy it on a whim the way that we used to whenever we were kids you know I mean there are some records out there now that I've you know it's going to jog my um, goldfish memory of people just pretending to be like some other band is pretending to do a, like a black metal album. I mean, there's been an awful lot of that in the last 20, 25 years. I like yeah. punk. Punk's going, yeah, oh, we can make a black metal record and just like, you know, having a go at it. And just I think some bands did it with kind of, like if you listen to the first Manic Street Preachers album, that was just them trying to be Guns N' Roses, like, you know. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just that like that's what a style is, The only thing I liked about that band was mm-hmm. that if you tolerate this, your children would be next. I quite like that sort of maudlin song. I think most people who are watching this as eyebrows have went up and down at that sentence. They're like, what? Okay, right, fair enough. If you tolerate this, that's the only one I remember being like, oh, that's not so bad. Because I think it was like my mate was trying to get, trying to convince me that they were like sort of, you know, punky rock and roll, was trying to play me motorcycle emptiness. And I was like, yeah, okay. But I just think at the time, I was just like, well, she just listen to Motorhead instead of this, probably better off. But You'd be much happier listening to well, you know what? They're always uh, the band, I guess. For, for some reason, they always sort of remind me of like you know, like the Wild Hearts. You know. Oh yeah. People who wanted some sort of regional version of the Stones or whatever. The Wild Hearts were on the cover of like every other Kerrang! My friends would buy in the nineteen nineties. The guy from them, uh, the guitar player Ginger, started out as the backup uh, auxiliary guitar player for Avenger. Do you remember Avenger, the new really? album band? Yeah. Wow. We played a gig with Avenger once. Um, I think it was like Keep It True Warm Up. It was us, Avenger, and like Bitches Sin or something. And, right. and uh, the guy from Avenger was wearing a cape, I think, which I was really happy with. He was probably looking at you being all like, that guy is dressed like Nelson's column over here. What the fuck is going on? <laughs> they were good, though. I liked, I liked their video where they're driving around in a high end, high end somewhere in Sunderland in like 1981. And they're smashing shit up with fucking hammers and things in a in like a, a, a breakyard, which is I quite like that. Definitely, that's one thing you always see about those neat records videos from around that stage. You can really feel the the air of despair and depression, like can't you? Look, oh. it's like watching undertones or stuff, little fingers videos from the seventies. You're like, God, they're really dying to get out of here, aren't they? Look, oh, there's a brilliant, uh, it's a brilliant document, uh, like documentary about girls' school, which is like, uh, it's Carolyn Quentin is presenting it. It's a UTV thing. It's on YouTube. It's about... I've seen that, where they, they go to girls' schools like fucking Scooby-Doo house, where they're yeah. all living together with their yeah. dog. Or they're all like, oh, waking up out of their sleeping bags and making coffee. And like, we've got to run to the gig. But it, then she goes in the van with them around England. And it's great, because she's there trying to interview all these lads in the queue, waiting to see girls' school. And she goes, and she's there and trying to make a sort of, I guess, proto-feminist sort of like, do you think it's good that, you know, girls are up there 
you know, blah, blah, blah. And these guys are going, oh, I don't know. Never thought, but uh, we just like them because they're heavy. We've got heavy riffs. Yeah. And she's like trying to make it kind of a, you know, an interesting point. They're going, I don't know. Just like, just that's one thing you would have to absolutely cool, give girls school 100% cred for. Like they were not image based or anything. It was all 100% based on people yeah. who like pub rock yeah. and denim and leather rock and roll. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't it, about being all like, let's wear fucking short skirts or anything. I think, I think I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, by the way. I'm just oh, saying that that yeah. was not. I think they, they tried to get to do that maybe a bit by 83, 84, but the first few, yeah, for sure. We played a few gigs with them actually. As in, we were put for two weekends in a row. We were next to them and played on the same stage in Sweden Rock and something else. And they were great. We're hanging out and drinking whiskey with them. Uh, man, we I did that as well. some makeup tips with the girl from school school. I, uh, I got given off to for using the, using the toilet backstage. So I did. Did you? Yeah, yeah. I did indeed. Well, like, which one of you lads has been in there taking a shit? It smells awful in there. <laughs> I think that's a great quack. You yeah. know, they're uh, great at a quack. And, like, you know, the fucking, they were probably at the fucking extreme sharp end of, could you imagine the sort of shite they would have been getting off fucking sound men and shit like that oh. in the 80s just for the sake of it? It would have been excruciating looking. You know? Yeah, they were like, they they had this little manager guy with them when we played with them. They were next door to us. They were like, oh, you guys again. Brilliant. He was our manager. Is this the, the Mexican he came do no. with the beard? No, this was a little English guy, and he was trying to get them to go back to the hotel after they played. They didn't want to. They all wanted to sit around drinking. So we were like produced a bottle of Jack Daniels, and so it was like sunshine, whiskey, and we're all sitting at the same big table, lunch table, you know, kind of little wooden thing, having the crack with them. And they were get, we were getting on famously, and he was like, kind of have to go, girls. And they were like, ah, oh, this fucking Egypt, fuck off, kind of thing, you know? Fucking pretty really cool. Good on him. Uh, but yeah, like, there you go. We've uh, we've told you the story of absolutely horrendous heavy metal, which we... I mean, and I don't think we've even really kind of... Like, I still... Like I said, I recommend the Coliseum. Coliseum. Um, but all of the fake follow-ups, Trash Queens, Ashes to Ashes, this is... And it's this is absolutely insane. So this guy is in true exploitation fashion. They also re-edited, re-recorded, or even stole... Plenty of the most anonymous filler songs for different recordings to simplify production. Some of the songs appear in other albums. I'm not surprised by that at all. They ripped off their logo from some World of Metal to some other compilation. So many bands. Repression, Thunderstorm, Mad Butcher, Burning Vision, Expect No Mercy. Now, Mad Butcher is a class one because Mad Butcher, it's the same as the Mad Butcher cover for Destruction. So they were literally hoping that somebody would go through the vinyl bin, see a picture of a Mad Butcher... Uh, this mad butcher is feeding a flying V into a mincer and yeah. guts are coming out the other end. But like that's the idea. You're just like, eh, yeah, maybe maybe someone's just gonna accidentally buy this instead of the destruction record and then you know, a bit like a bit up. like six bit like six feet under covering the whole of back in black. I know what we'll yeah, do. I don't, I don't think anybody's gonna get confused and be all like, oh shit, I accidentally bought six feet under's version instead of it's no, one of those things like because you know, like, didn't Dream Theater do that and do all of Number oh, of the Beast? Hang on, hang on. I just have to wait, 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 wait. Hang on. Just show it to people. Hang on. You, I just do, do, look, there's that mad butcher thing. Oh, no, that's stupid for me trying to show people that. It's, <laughs> ah, it's incredible. It is <clears> a mad butcher <throat> feeding a guitar into a grinder. That's incredible. Yep. And they just went, ah, oh, we'll just let's just copy that. That sounds cool. And maybe, how many, I mean, do they think like a couple of hundred people were going to go, I'm really confused by this. Hang on. 
Yeah, look at that. Uh, <laughs> yes. That's fucking mental. And, and I've never Mass. seen that. And he's got a lot of guitars behind him ready to go as well. Because he's going to turn them all into guts as well. Fucking hell. So... <laughs> What have we learned from talking about this? Is there anything like is there anything positive you can say apart from there's a lot more music out there we all have to listen to, or um, we all just put on blue penny glasses or what? We could go back to your songwriting on the New Agent Steel, maybe you know, or we could discuss. Um, we could go back to JJ Tull. Hang on, I was going to make a point there, but I can't. I fucking I was put off. You so threw me with that mad butcher thing. Now I've been. Well, we were br- we were briefly talking about the idea of bands covering other bands' full albums and stuff yeah. like that. Oh yeah, I was you about know, to get, Six I was Feet Under to... did the DC record, and Dream yeah, Theater had done a couple of records and whatnot. I was about to throw Six Feet Under the bus, under the bus, which I think is fair enough. But after their graveyard classics, now that that sold a lot of records. That first one, like sixty, seventy thousand copies or something. They just went, I will just do another one, another one, and then they went, you know what? What's the biggest selling rock album of all time? Let's just cover the whole thing. Like, imagine hearing Six Feet Under do "Have a Drink on Me" and shoot to thrill. And anyway. I don't want to imagine that happening to me. No, I would way rather listen to a bit more uh, metal enterprises records or but Kalashnikov. It, yeah. You know, it's a strange thing, isn't it? Covers like I like I I know you're not a fan, but I'm a fan of uh, Ugly Kid Joe. I kind of grew up listening to them, and whenever you go and see them, the end of their show they do like. Uh, like back in black, or not a uh, uh, highway to hell and ace of spades and something else where you're a bit like you know do you want would you like to go and see iron maiden playing you know black sabbath songs no but are you com- are you comparing iron maiden to, to uh, i was gonna say jethro Tull, but no not jethro Tull. okay kid joe no. i mean no what i'm saying to you is you don't want to go and see a band going and playing a whole bunch of covers at an end of a set especially if you're like I like this band. They haven't played a whole bunch of songs that they should play. You yeah, know. I remember. I remember um, a bunch of Pungent Stench played here before they um, quit being Pungent Stench a long time ago, and I, I knew a few people who were really into them. And I think they made a whole big day out of going out, you know, coming up, traveling to see Pungent Stench. Pungent Stench was the last day of their tour, and they were just messing. They were playing like Sharp Dressed Man, and like yep. just doing covers just for the laugh. And so they traveled all the way up to see them and they got to see Punch and Stench mainly messing around doing ACDC and ZZ Top Brothers and they were fucking thick about it, like so yeah. fucking annoyed, you know? Whereas Punch and Stench, you would always just goof around a bit. They was like, yeah, whatever. We're going to uh, keep it true once. And I was talking to somebody in the car park and Malice were playing. And I was like, oh yeah, I can't wait to go and see Malice. It's going to be killer. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, it's, you know, to shame James Riviera singing for them instead of the OG guy. And the guy just burst into fucking tears right in front of my face and was like, what are you talking about? You saying that James Neal isn't going to be here? And I was like, yeah. And he's all like, oh, and walked off crying. Wow. Who would have thought Malice would have elicited such emotions? Like, you know. He got the feels. He He got like super, yeah, well, I mean, Sort of like a football player losing the World Cup or something. It's similar level, you know, like sportsmen crying at whatever else. He, I, I might have cried like that if it had been James Neal singing for Malice instead of... Because the thing is, like, right, James Riviera is a cool singer, but, you know, it's one of those things. I think he was singing for Agent Steel that weekend as well. You're like, yeah. oh, okay, right, grand. Well, I guess this is okay, you know. Um, And how do you feel about James Riviera's metal wave? 
I feel that it is a wave of sadness that is. I, I made I, I made Paradise Lost on the tour we just did. I sat them down and made them watch Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I interrupted All of it? Their, well, at least two, three minutes of it. I interrupted their pre-gig sort of, you know, um, sitting around, ignore, you know, just like the watching stuff, getting ready to play. I interrupted that by making them all stop what they were doing to come over and look at that. Lovely. I did actually the same thing to my girlfriend uh, about a month ago. We were in the car and I was like, okay, I, I'll pay for dinner tonight if you listen to the entirety of the song. It's, it staggers me. It just, my, my brain is like, I had to watch all, I've watched it several times. This is the thing is that sometimes things like this are so, they sort of capture my imagination so much in a, in a kind of going, what? We should probably explain to people that <clears throat> uh, this is the guy from Hellstar, who's oh, yeah. a legitimately brilliant singer and lyricist and stuff like that, has got a band called Metal Wave where he does. Which Alan's like, well, I don't know if he's that great. Like, you know. No, he's not, but he's good. Anyway, yeah. But anyway, we he, are Hellstar uh, yeah. fans. We're Hellstar fans. That's going to bring in the views, but we are Hellstar fans. Especially you. I thought you were going to say that's going to bring in the hate from the Hellstar massive. They're going to descend on us. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, so he has this band called Metal Wave where they do covers of like Gary Newman and it's like new wave songs done in a metal way. But holy shit, this version of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, god damn, like it's yeah, it really misses it, it, it misses the point in an unbelievable fashion. Like, it's also got lots of like new rock boots and leather waistcoats in the video and vampire teeth, and it's and that was one of the things that people were immediately they were like. Why is James Riviera dressed as a vampire in this when he's a vampire in Hellstar? Is he just always a vampire now? Is he now, if I met him downtown at, you know, Super Value, would he be a vampire? Yeah, well, that's obviously the thing is that what well, he's fully transitioned for into being a vampire. And so it doesn't matter. He could be doing Country Western and he's, he's vampiric. Yeah. I would so like maybe... to meet him in daytime and then start crying in front of him and say, I can't believe you're not a real vampire. Like, you know. You lied to me. Yeah, but you you say that, but you don't know that. What if he is? Well, I, I have met him before, but in fairness, it's only ever been at nighttime, so I cannot confirm if he's a real vampire or not. Uh, I saw him during the day at uh, Headbangers Open Air. Um, was he, this a long time ago, was it? No, it was only two years ago, and he was backstage, mm -hmm. and he was eating um, what looked like uh, a sausage or some description. Did he have vampire teeth in? See, I wasn't, I wasn't that close, but mm -hmm. I did observe him. In the daylight, like it could have been a blood sausage. This is it, you know. So, it's, I I remain. I was, I'm going to sit on the fence of whether he's a real vampire or not. A bit like the Middle okay. East. A bit like the Middle East. I'm going to sit on the fence of taking one side or the other. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's truly a noble place to be, right on the yeah. fence, there, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're very similar. <laughs> they're very similar arguments. I think is James Rivera a vampire or not? And anyway, so anyway, back to metal enterprises. But... So that, this is one of the weird things about it is that there is no trace whatsoever of who right. this guy is. It's like he it's like he made enough money to buy a boat and a house somewhere in the country and went right. It's enough. Ninety one. Off we go. <laughs> bye bye. And just disappeared because it only really exists for about five, six years. Yeah. Well, there was a label in England in the mid 2000s called Rising Records. Oh, and oh they, yes, I heard of they that. ran a, a label. So the uh, label and uh, sorry, obviously it was a label, but they ran a studio as well. 
And the deal was that the bands would pay the label 10 grand to record the album in their studio and then they and, would get 50% and, of the albums and blah, the blah, blah. And the promo. Yeah, I remember this yep. guy. I heard about this guy. So I think it, like I think maybe like there was one band maybe Trigger the Bloodshed did a did a record with him and then like Sworn Amongst and bands of that nature or whatever. And anyway, the guy ended up making whatever it was like seventy or eighty grand and just shut the label up and moved to the Bahamas the next day. Like and that was yeah. it. Yeah, August burns red. Is that no? I don't. Something blah blah blah. Yeah, Rising Records. Yeah. Yeah. But, but like, were was it like a trigger of the bass drums or, or no fucking me being an, an insulting cow? Uh, trigger the bloodshed was the name of the band. Uh, they on them? Rise, rise, no. yeah. But yeah, no, there's a bleed from within, sworn against trigger the bloodshed, cocoon, firebrand. Yeah. So I don't, I've never heard of a single one of these bands except I've heard the name trigger the bloodshed. I don't even know what that is. It sounds like. Um, and yeah, I heard this, and I think they were. I think they may have he may have sent some of those bands to record in um with some people that I know and it was um I don't know. But I've heard this about the um what's this festival? I think that that's what probably where the, the, the Oh is a Devilstone, is it? No, that's in uh, Lithuania at the left field. No, the one in Slovenia is uh, Metal Bay's. Oh right, right, right. The guy has. Another... I guess so. That, like that's probably where the exploitation side of it has kind of moved these days, man. Because it's hard yes. to uh, it's hard to fool a punter because a punter is going to want to see or hear what it looks like or sounds like or whatever. So uh, whereas can... a band is much easier to fool. Like as in, there's a whole bunch of people out there. Like I'm not going to name names, but there's plenty of guitar players who, if you give them five hundred bucks or a thousand bucks, will do a solo or etc. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's a more legitimate trade of goods and services but yeah there's so many we tiny labels or management companies like there's bands in ireland where they're paying x hundred bucks a month to go and be managed by some people right they might get them on to a couple of festivals but you know you're still essentially or, paying to play really aren't you yeah or not is the case maybe they might get you to some few things locally but it's very hard to get them onto you might get to play a few things in europe if you pay your own way to get there maybe on the you know but an awful lot of the PO companies um, are, you know, I mean, what is the, the click-through rate for links and emails, regardless of who's pushing them or not? If it's unsolicited, it, if it's unsolicited, it's like two to three percent. And if you have to follow a link through, I mean, I know myself, I get tons every day because I'm on this Hallix, which is um, is a digital promo link for journalists. So yep. somewhere, somebody somewhere still has me down from when I was zero tolerance and right through terrorizing all this stuff years ago i'm still in that if i can remember my login code but i keep getting like every day i'll have x amount and if i go into the crash just relentless barrage of there's so so much music constantly and you think to yourself even if i know the band the chance of me opening the link unsolicited is tiny and so yeah for, so there are people out there making money from pure just pushing the email around and then if for a band if you can see no correlation to yourself, your statistics moving, it's very difficult. How do you get any of those kind of things, you know? Absolutely. And I guess that was the whole thing back in the 80s, whenever, even when you're talking about a band as small as, like, someone like uh, Exciter or Violence, they were going out on tour and then seeing their record sales increase by, like, 40,000 
Well, piece. well let's, let's, let's quantify that because I think Exciter sold quite a lot of records in the early 80s. Violence, for example, I think I read that the that John Lightmark did 30,000 or something. But I mean, with Exciter, you're talking yep. about a band that probably sold 200,000 copies, 252,000. Oh, probably more. But like, yeah. what I mean is the, well, the I mean, sense of, of like bands of any, any of the, that description were still in a position where the tour support was actually reaping a reward. Yeah. Band. Like, if you paid. To bring Dark Angel to like Europe to go and do a tour as Music for Nations, you're probably actually going to make your money back. Pretty yeah, handily, I mean, I mean, know. what happened was that you basically you toured to promote your album. Now you make an album to do a tour, and that changed somewhere about ten, maybe fifteen years ago. You know, um, yep. so there's a very big difference now. I mean, you you know what it's like. You release an album, it has about a month long. If you're lucky, cycle of interest based around the video, sometimes two or three weeks, and then the spike goes down. And if you tour, the spike doesn't go up, you know? It's. No, it doesn't really at all, man. Like, that's, you know, it, it, it's a weird one. Like, but the, the idea at the end of the day should be you're making an album because you like making music. You know, you're not making an album to ho- hope to break through to some sort of bigger audience, really. Like, you're doing it. I think, I think your aspirations have definitely changed in the last. 10, 15, 20 years. Hang on, I'm going to have to stop this one.
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM.